Hey everyone, welcome back to the Beyond 90 podcast. My name's Cheryl Downs and I'm your host for today. We've also got another fantastic guest. We've got Leah Blaney with us today, as well as the guys, Eric Subijano and Dale Root should be joining us shortly. Just an intro for Leah to start off with as well. I think I did a bit of background and one of the key things I saw was an article that had been written by Lucy Zelich, which was such a top article and I'm not sure how much fun you had talking to her, but it had a really a lot of background in it. So what I'll do is I'll pop that in the show notes so everyone can see. Some of my research comes from Wikipedia, some of it comes from Football Australia and in this case it's come from Lucy as well. So you're the current head coach of the Australian Young Matildas. Now, I, I know people can tend to get a little bit confused sometimes with the Young Matildas, Junior Matildas, who's what. The Young Matildas are, are U20, but you're also the head coach of the Future Matildas program. What's the definition of the Future Matildas program in terms of age group as well? Yeah, so our Future Matildas age group sits roughly between the age groups of 15, 23, 24. Um, we've had players come into the environment who are, who are current Matildas, who may have been out of contract or who uh, may be between clubs or, or just home for some time with family and need to be in that high-performance environment. So there isn't really a, a set age on it. Um, it is, it's players who we feel uh, potentially could be Matildas one day who maybe at the age of 15, 16 uh, have a, I guess we call it a weapon, so they might have something very very special about them that we, we'd like to have them in that higher level environment and and try and nurture and get the best out of them in that space and in saying that it might be a player who's 22 23 may not have ever represented a national team before a junior or a youngs but has just bloomed at a later age and fits into that environment Okay. And we're not even halfway through your introduction, but I thought it was worthwhile asking that. And I was also curious how that Future Matildas program came about, to be honest. Is it based off another model that's similar for men's or women's around the world? Or is it something that we specifically thought was needed to identify the talent within Australia, potentially from other codes as well? Yeah, look, it's a bit of a hybrid of a um, similar to the AIS setup that the boys had some years ago where it's a, a live-in full-time program. Um, we modelled our, our situation with our host families and those sort of things off that, that model where we have players who um, all live with host families in New South Wales, in, in Sydney, which um, has its benefits and that family sort of orientated space while you're, you're chasing that professional football career. Our, our intention for the program is to obviously help produce Matildas, but um, also professional footballers playing at the highest level. I feel like I'm not going to get anywhere near through your introduction because I've got so many questions throughout. Um, so the next one is that you're the assistant to the Matilda squad, and that was part of a female coach mentoring program. What's the definition for that, the success of that program? Is it that you're the head coach of the young Matildas? Is it that, you know, you go off to coach another uh, team or country around the world as well? Yeah, look, uh, the initiative was brought about by FFA some years ago where they identified six female coaches who they thought were quite strong within the country. And we've all sort of gone different paths from that program. Some of us are involved in the national team space currently. Um, we've all played key roles as a rotating assistant with the Matildas in um, previous years. Um, it get, afforded me some good opportunities in the analysis space to attend a, a World Cup, two Algarve Cups, and also an Olympics as a scout. So it's certainly afforded all of us different opportunities. Um, Mel Andriata and Ray Dow obviously had good opportunities, as well as Heather Garriock in the W League. Um, Tanya has gone overseas and is coaching at Bristol. So uh, it was important initiative that sort of sent us on that track. And I always go with you, you can't be what you can't see. And that really, for me, opened up um, my eyes to the pathway that potentially is there for female coaches within our country. And it's really just a starting point where we're scratching the surface. 
Awesome. All right. Well, let's continue on with the introduction, which we'll go for the next 50 minutes or so. But you were a midfielder as well in your playing career. And if if I look at your history, most notably, you played for the Matildas, debuting in 2004 against New Zealand. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that game. You played, I think, 20 games, eight, sorry, 16 of which were A international matches. So I've gone through the Andy Howe stats for that. I don't know if everyone knows about those, but it's a great spot to get lots of detail can you tell us a little bit what you remember about that opening match for you in New Zealand g'day Dale as well he's joined us I I can't just let him sit there quietly but keep going (laughs) yeah look but whether it's coaching or or playing for your country I I don't think there's a better feeling and um, if I, I reflect on first playing for Australia there's certainly a nervousness but there's an enormous amount of pride and um, it's something that uh, I'm proud of and I'm very, very passionate about our Matildas and um, football in general in Australia. So it's certainly an exciting moment for me as a 16-year-old to play at that senior level. Um, I was selected in our senior team before I played for our youth national teams. So I guess for anybody listening out there who, who may miss out on that selection, um, it, it's not the end of the world. There's, um, there's other avenues and um, I was just fortunate enough to have been doing the work at the time that the senior national team coach um, saw myself and some other youngsters in action and took the opportunity with both hands. And that's that's a great idea, I suppose, for anyone to make sure that they follow is that you have to, number one, you have to see what you could be. And, and I think you illustrated that from a coaching perspective. But, you know, you got to grab the opportunities that you've got and they're not going to come too often. So work hard is partly the motto, I, I think. So it wasn't just Matildas. You've played for Sydney FC. You've pl- played for Canberra United as well, both in the W League. And I did ask you off air if you had a favourite team, but you've played for a couple, so it might make it hard to split them. You also played for the Boston Breakers, but then unfortunately you retired really quite early from a playing perspective I, I think that's really hard for us not being able to see you for you not being able to continue that playing journey but did it give you an opportunity in a different sense in that you saw quite early that coaching could be a great avenue for you and you know you're you're really just delivering the goods yeah look it certainly did um, the appearances I've made for Sydney FC and I actually envy the W League now I would have loved to have played a, a full W League season um, however I was in college in the US so I actually played for Sydney FC when I was on uh, Christmas break when I came home from the US and um, just fit back in with a lot of my peers that I'd, I'd grown up playing with um, and then similar to Canberra I come home between professional seasons and, and caught some games there before injury so in in terms of coaching I didn't know I would go into coaching. Um, I did a degree in education, so I'm also a school teacher. So I I guess I always sit in that arena of wanting to educate. Um, But at at the time of injury, I certainly didn't know I was going to go into coaching, but I had that teaching degree, which helped propel my my coaching career in terms of uh, I came home to Australia and um, I'd picked up a, a gig coaching with MacArthur Rams under 14s girls um, Trevor Morgan gave me my first job at Westfield Sports High School when I, when I showed up there with my teaching degree and injury. So I had a lot of good people around me to support me and guide me down that, that coaching road. And from there, opportunities came that I really feel I've made the most of. That's awesome. And I love a good segue as well. When you talk about good people, let me introduce Dale Roots and Eric Subijano. probably a good opportunity for one of those guys to jump in and ask their first question. Yeah. As, as you were saying, uh, Leah, first of all, thank you for being on the show. It's uh, great to see you guys. Great to see you again after our little rendezvous in Newcastle. Um, as you were saying, like your, when you came back and you were given that role at MacArthur, was that the kind of like it, a lot of people say when they first kind of dip their toes into things, they're not sure that that's what they want to do. But how soon was it after you kind of took up that role that you realized that maybe this was like something that you were passionate about? Even as you say, you had like a, an education degree, so you kind of knew what you were doing in that sense. But was it kind of that, how, how soon did you realize, like how soon did you realize that that was a kind of fire that was driving you um, to, to combine those passions? Yeah, look, look pretty soon. Um, so I went out on a volunteer basis with a, a coach who was very good to be. He used to coach me. I live in the Blue Mountains, so there wasn't a lot of opportunities for – there was nothing like academies or elite teams or anything like that. So 
Um, I had him um, as, as my coach in, in primary school and I, I sort of feel indebted to a fair few people along the way who have who've taken care of me at, at different times in my playing career and coaching career. So um, he'd asked me to go out and help the team because their coach was being moved on at the Proctor Cup in Bathurst. And I am super competitive, so that definitely played a role. Um, the, the group of players that I worked with, um, I just saw how passionate they were about the sport, what it meant for them to have me there, and just sort of that role. Um, it was exciting, and, and even now it's proud. Uh, in that team were girls like Rosie Galea, Jada Wyman, and Eliza Mandolia, some of the girls now that are sort of playing in our W League scene and overseas and it's just been a, a proud um, experience my whole journey, really. I mean, as you said, like there were there are that MacArthur group. Like, there's always been. I mean, MacArthur used to be my local uh, MPLW team, well, mm-hmm. women's Super League team back in those days. Um, but yeah, as you say, like that MacArthur um, area has produced so much good quality. Um, is that something that, like, you look back on when you started growing up in the Blue Mountains? Like, do, do you still think that even now um, it's still like the, the pathways still are so, are so difficult to get involved in from an elite perspective? Like, is there more that you think that at the local level teams, say, for example, like in the Blue Mountains, and I'm not sure what the, the system like there is, but do you still think that there's, there's roadblocks for especially girls when it comes to moving from, say, 14s to 16s to opens? Is that something that you think that like at local level we can still work on? Yeah, look, I, I think um, there's certainly always areas for improvement um, with anything in, in terms of the, the situation in the Blue Mountains right now. Um, recently, Football New South Wales have um, obtained some funding for regional areas, which I think is only going to propel areas like the Blue Mountains, the far north coast, um, those sort of country areas where have produced a lot of good players um, there's a part of it where there's a barrier to participation with some of it, but then also it takes um, a lot for an individual to commit to what's required at that elite level as well. So it does become a, a bit of both. And um, if I look at my, my parents who would drive to VSP four or five times a week, um, that's just a good example of people who were sort of supportive along my journey I'm sure there's a lot of other things they'd be wanting to do and then they had to take my brothers out to Sydney United and and Penrith and the Pean as well so it it does take a lot of commitment and and sacrifice from the whole family which can take a toll Mm. I mean I live in the the inner west and I don't like going to VSP so uh, (laughs) I can only imagine what it's like coming back over the mountains to go to VSP on a on a several times a weekly basis I feel like we will be repaying our parents for all the good deeds that they've done for so many, oh. so many footballers out there, so many know, right? uh, ref- referees, anyone who's ever been on the canteen. It, you know, very much appreciation for all of those people. It, but what if are I, the key if reasons? I had to buy, if I had to buy my mother all of the frozen peas that she had put on my busted knees from the age of probably like twelve to maybe like twenty. I mean, I could feed a small community for several years. <laughs> like, I, and as you say, like, it's one of those things where you look back on it and you're like, oh, you know, we could always have more like pathways. But like at the end of the day, if, if mum and dad or, or nonna and papa aren't willing to take you to, to football training, then like you can have all the pathways you want, but you can't get there, as you say, Leah. Hey, one of the key reasons that we wanted to get Leah on the pod as well is to talk about Legacy 23, which was announced, I think, was it Sunday last week from memory? Um, And what it is, is it's got five pillars. So the pillars are participation, community facilities, high performance, tourism and international engagement and leadership and development. So it really does sound like it's grassroots through to elite, which I think is, is definitely what Australia needs and the game of football in Australia needs to be able to compete amongst the other um, players individually and countries around the world as well. But really, really keen to hear maybe some opening thoughts from yourself, Leah, and then we'll potentially jump into more detail as well. Yeah, look, it's certainly a very, very exciting initiative that a lot of hard work has gone into on the FFA's end um, in cooperation with our, our starting 11 and other key stakeholders um, in terms of the, the legacy piece and how it potentially can boost our national youth teams is the, the opportunity to 
play more uh, international high quality games. I think that'll be an important piece in this. The greater exposure we can have to high quality games at that level and the more of them, the better our, our youth national teams are going to become and the more exposure to world football, which is so important um, in the, that youth age group where you're playing against different opponents who, who may play different styles, different systems. Um, that's, that's important for our youth teams to get that exposure. So that's something that's really exciting as well as the opportunity um, to upgrade our, our facilities nationwide to become uh, more female friendly facilities, which hopefully will, will boost participation because at the end of the day, football does start at grassroots level and the, the next future Matilda I'm looking for needed to fall in love with the game at that level if they're going to come into our environment. So it's such an important piece of our football landscape that we're investing in our grassroots and hopefully that's going to give it a much needed boost. And when you say access to more games, is that a combination of more games in Australia at an international level for um, the different levels of our elite programs as well as the touring aspect of it as well? Yes, look, I would hope so. I read in an article um, that, you know, there's a proposed 38 international tours for youth national teams, um, whether it be friendlies or tournaments. That would be enormous for our football community. One of the things I'm excited about is the um, 2023 World Cup for obviously so many reasons, but another reason is that I would hope that there would be some tournaments or a tournament or two leading up to the World Cup itself, almost as practice tournaments, and to bring some of those elite level teams over that they want to maybe start their campaigns earlier as well. That will be a big deal for me. Is there funding specifically for any of the programs that you're working on in terms of the, the future Matilda? or um, the U20s as well as part of the Legacy 23? Yeah, look, as, as I mentioned, um, it's proposed for all youth national teams, which the, the youngs and futures would fall under. So it's exciting moving forward. And I, I think you mentioned um, just a second ago in regards to um, potential um, practice tournaments, I guess, before the World Cup. We're very, very excited about uh, holding the first under-20 AFC tournament in Shepparton in Victoria in August. So that's something that's um, that just the start of the road for our youth national teams and our under-17s are obviously hosting in Cessnock. So there's going to be a lot of firsts over the next couple of years that we're excited about. Yeah, I've got both of those listed down as something that we can get to see because I, I think for us, you know, some people will travel and go and see a World Cup, but so many people or so many fans don't necessarily see that level of elite football. And, you know, I think you don't need to have a specific age to see that level of elite football. There are amazing people who are playing, women and men who are playing at, you know, maybe a 16-year-old Caitlin Ford or, a, you know, so many great players that you'll be able to see, particularly in Shepparton if you're in Victoria and don't mind a bit of a drive or in Cessnock. I actually don't know where that is apart from it's in New South Wales, but great opportunities for people to be able to go and see the U20s and the U17s. I'm, uh, I'm Dale, amazed, any that, they, thoughts I'm from amazed you? that they put the, uh, the, the to tournament in Cessnock. It's like Shep is, Shep is a big regional centre, but like Cessnock is right next to Newcastle. The people of Newcastle will be furious. Um, but yeah, as you said, I mean, like the, one of the good things about those underage tournaments, as you mentioned, is that you kind of get to see the, the, the stars of the future. Like, I mean, we wouldn't have known about somebody like, say, for example, Bunny Shaw at the last world cup, if it wasn't for seeing her play at, uh, like another 20 and a, and a, a national level in the CONCACAF tournaments. And obviously she came through those, um, qualifiers for Jamaica very well when they qualified through with the U S and Canada, um, but like we would never have known about her if we weren't have been if we weren't seeing her play at an underage level. Um, so I like if you can get out. And the other good thing about these is the tickets are usually really cheap, and you get to be really close to the ground. So if you love cheap things and seeing things really well, you will love under twenties football. Uh, but On yeah, as dial. you said, I mean, it will, look, I am a budget cheap but quality. <laughs> cheap but quality, much like myself. Um, anyway, moving on from that um yeah it it's it's uh as you say like the the thing about having these under 20s tournaments is like it also gives 
uh, us a chance to see who we could be coming up against in the next tournament. Like I, I know that with the under twenties women's before the 2019 world cup, that under twenties tournament was played in France. And it is slightly disappointing that that tournament's not going to be played in Australia as kind of a warm up to see how the facilities go and things like that. But really the French tournament was played mostly in Brittany, which didn't really get a hell of a lot of games, but yeah, as, as you said, Leo, like it's, it's critically important for us, both, men's and women's teams but specifically women's teams to be playing these underage tournaments and underage games constantly because really the only time that we as a football media team see the youngs and the junior matildas is when they're off playing in in like when they played in uh thailand or when they played in palestine like we very rarely get to see them out of tournaments so i think for us to have more tournaments um the more that we get to see these players and the more that you guys get to see these players, Leah, is hugely beneficial for both us knowing what's coming down the line and you guys knowing what you're working with going further and further forward um, with the youth teams. Yeah, absolutely, Dale. And I think um, the feeling those girls are going to get when they pull on that national team jersey in front of their family and friends, um, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity. So it's something that um, I'm sure everybody's looking forward to. We'll do our best to publicise those things as well. But Dale brought up an interesting um, comment, which was more broadly around Bunny Shaw and seeing her as a younger player and and then coming up to the World Cup. But how challenging is it to scout the other AFC teams at the moment, given uh, COVID and the inability to travel and also the inability for many nations to potentially be playing football? How does that impact your preparation for the U20 quals? Yeah, look, um, at the moment and and during COVID, we've spent a lot of time on ourselves in terms of uh, casting that net far and wide. We actually have some players who are in the US college system at the moment overseas. Um, We have a couple of players who are playing in England in uh, youth teams there, as well as obviously our own NPL landscape, which uh, NPL TV has made access to games incredible within Australia. Um, So that's been fantastic. So we're really sort of just focused on ourselves right now until we do have that draw and and we do know who we're playing as well as um, who, who will be coming out to Australia. So, yeah, for the most part now it's it's all about us and um, it'll be a lot about us until a little bit closer. So, Leah, um, I noticed in an article released by uh, Newcastle Jets that they mentioned um, a 29-player young Matilda squad for uh, intra-squad game which is being held in a couple of days and then a 36 player under 17 squad for the same purpose um which is actually and there's actually an extended 82 player squad for that the, the under 17 age group um just how hard has it been you know assess, assessing um players and like compiling these squads you know given that we can't always as we all know we can't always travel to watch these players in person Yeah, look, we collaborate with all NTC coaches and TDs across the country. Um, So there was a fair bit of work done um, during COVID with that to make sure that we had access to all huddle platforms. Um, As I said, we we watch um, majority of NPL games as well, um, either through streaming or attending my staff in in Sydney attend, as well as some credible staff we have in other states um, go out and watch the games and then they'll provide a bit of a scouting report. Um, We are resourced, we are limited with that um, in terms of personnel on the ground, but we're finding we're getting a good response and a good uptake from NTC coaches, from MPL coaches. And I think you'll find in this 29 player squad Um, It's from a diverse range of clubs within both the New South Wales, Canberra and um, Newcastle NPL, which it just sort of shows how wide we are casting our net. There's players who uh, play for an under-16s boys team um, on the mid-north coast. There's players who are playing in the boys uh, competition in Canberra, as well as players from our New South Wales first grade, under-17s and reserve grade. So we've opted to go with Canberra, Newcastle and Sydney for this elite game. We'll hold further elite games that will involve other states moving forward. Um, We were able to hold a camp in December, actually, with um, 23 players, which was our first sort of young Matildas camp for this campaign. And in that were players from all over the country. I think we had five from WA, uh, one from Canberra, two from Queensland, and then players from both um, northern 
Canberra and then New South Wales. So we really are casting that that net wide and paying attention right now, as well as obviously the W League, which I see you at every single week, Eric, at multiple games. Keep up the good work as well as you, Dale. Yes. So you mentioned players playing with boys, and I believe Emma Ilioski played with uh, Gungala United Boys in 2019. Is that something that's common with this age range of players? Um, not not typically. Um, so most of the players, if they live in Sydney, they play in a, a women's environment, and I guess it's up to the individual. Um, so I myself played with boys up until the age of 14, so at 13 we suppose it weren't allowed, but that, that got changed, and I was the only female player in the under 14 boys MPL actually for MacArthur Rams. So um, it, it just depends on, on where you live and, and your desire to, to stay in that boys competition. I think for some of those girls. I wanted to ask a background question from Lu- reading that Lucy Zellich article that I talked about, because I really did like it. And one of the things that you touched on there was that Tony DeCicio and Tuna United, I don't know how badly I have said that, but they really shaped you as a coach and a person. And I'd like to understand in what way they shaped you. Like what was what was the experiences potentially in particular and what specific things did you take out of that? How did it craft um, your next step? Yeah, look, my, my time with the Boston Breakers and under Tony, um, I had him for a, a season in the professional league there before the league folded and then Sweden became the next sort of strongest league. Um, but I'd also worked for him in his his summer camps and whatnot throughout college and played in his reserve team um, prior to making the first team. And this is a guy who's won multiple Olympics, multiple World Cups. And the, the time he spent with me and... And what he he taught me about just showing up and doing the work um, has stuck with me. I was in the reserve squad and he asked me to come in and train as a train on with the first team for most of the first team's um, season. And I was a poor college student. I was living with a host family an hour away from Boston at the time um, in, in Danvers. And I'd drive in every single day and just show up and do the work, as he told me. Um, and then I, I was rewarded for it. He, he stood by his word. Um, signing me as an international player in a star-studded squad. So in that squad, the other internationals were Kelly Smith, Alex Scott. These are are big-time players. So um, just in terms of staying true to your word and and being consistent and your messaging to your players and rewarding those kind of behaviours has has really stuck with me um, for a long time. And I I hope that that's how um, I'm perceived in, in my environments as well. Um, because I think it's important that another, you know, part of him, it was the human before the player. So that was a really important, we'd always go out of the change rooms and um, the last thing he would say to us would just be, just make sure you have fun. Um, after pages and pages of tactical information, <laughs> don't don't let me miss that. But I think that was just an important um, messaging in his coaching to us. Yeah. Okay. That sounds really good. Um, And I can see why that shaped you. And I can imagine that you're paying it forward to all of the players that you're working with as well. So we very much hope to be the beneficiaries of seeing that through the players that you're working with. Now, one of the things, or possibly the last thing I wanted to ask about specifically was not about the players themselves and not about comparisons between our players um, against each other or our players against international players in, in a similar age group, but I wanted to understand maybe where Australia is positioned across four different areas. One of them is tactical. One of them is skills. One of them is experience now because we do have a lot of uh, young players playing in the W League and I think they do build experience at a, a young level in a different way to other leagues that we've got around the world. But also the other one is around leadership. And, and I know that we've had a number of players have, have come through, I suppose, the the system that we have. And, and you look at some of them and the leadership that they show on the field is just terrific. And you just look at them as the next level uh, captains of the Matildas. Uh, any thoughts about any of those four areas? Yeah, look, I, I think we've um, we've come a long way, especially over the last 12 to 18 months in that space with our playing group. Um, FFA have been exceptional in investing in 
um, sports psych servicing with our future Matildas as an example where we had the Matildas um, sports psych at every single session over the last um, program period, which is of great benefit to the girls. And we've worked on leadership and, and being accountable and, and those sort of things with this particular cohort. So that's exciting moving forward. Um, the W League obviously gives the girls um, additional months in a more professional environment, which is excellent. And I think uh, the recent performance gap highlights the need for match time. And, and that's what this W League is providing for those younger players, it's match minutes. In a, in a good environment. So that's really important key pieces for this next sort of generation. Do we wanna to continue to stretch and challenge them and, and push the barriers? Absolutely. There's more to challenge them with, but I think we're on the right path and I'm excited for the future. That's the um, the end of the Q and A that I have. You you are a winner on who who wants to be a millionaire in my books anyway. Dale or Eric, did you want to finish up with some extra questions as well? No, I I do love the point that you make about like tactical flexibility because it's one thing that I've harped on about all W League season, which has frustrated the bejesus out of me. But that's my cross to bear. Um, but yeah, as you say, I mean, the more that we can, the more that these younger players, younger women can get kind of games under their belt and um especially within the w league because it's um it's always good to play friendlies and it's good to have those like intra-club games and things like that but there's nothing like match pressure um and that's something that i'm really looking forward to seeing how and, and even in the, even in the npl like i mean we see the the gap between npl players and, and season w league players and when w league players go back to the npl and they look like they've already killed the final boss and they're going back to the you know start of the game um they come back so much more prepared and so such better players and i'll be really interested to see how this covid season affects the players the specifically the players that you work with leah but like players who are kind of in that yo-yo period between mpl and um that yo-yo period between mpl and uh mpl sorry and w league how it affects where they're like where they're at going forward but yeah i'm 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 just I'm just glad that some of these some of these younger players are getting a run because I mean it, it'll make your job a hell of a lot easier going forward, which is you know a benefit. Uh, but yeah, as I said, I'm I'm just really glad that um, you can see these girls progress and these young women cr- progress, and and it's I'm sure it gives you a, an immense sense of satisfaction as a as a coach and as a mentor. Yes, it certainly does, Dale. I'm just thinking about with the makeup of the future Matilda squad, there's quite a number of players that are, you know, traveling from interstate to be a part of it. Has it been difficult players to move interstate to join the future Matildas? Yeah, no, it certainly hasn't. We've got some really good processes in place um, in terms of how we identify players and the support around relocating them as well in terms of, I mentioned our homestay families being a a massive benefit. Um, We offer them long distance education opportunities if they're in school or if they want to attend um, a school in Sydney as well, there's that that option. And we have a a diverse range of um, opportunities that the girls take up. Some come in and they do year 11 and 12 in school in a high school setting, and then others opt to do distance education. I think one important piece of the program that um, we celebrate within ourselves, but it's probably a bit un- unknown. Um, we're actually very proud of um, how our players do academically. So in our, our last year's cohort, we had three who had 90 plus ATARs, one being a 96.4, which we're um, extremely proud of to have had somebody relocate in year 11 and 12 and achieve that just is a credit to the program, the support staff, um, as well as this young lady. So a condition of being in the program is that you are employed or um, enrolled in education. So there's certainly a very uh, holistic approach taken to this playing group, which obviously helps with the transition in moving. They certainly don't come to Sydney and just play football. There's a, there's a lot more to it. Um, with that, our nutrition servicing is one-on-one as well as group cooking sessions that the girls love to get on Zoom and prepare different meals. And it, it really does help prepare them for professional football if they are. Can to... I get an invite to those yeah, cooking sessions? Yeah, I was going to say, can you teach some of my former flatmates to like cook as well and like 
just do do other things around the house. Are these are these student, like young Matildas and future Matildas available for like mentoring people that I know? Well, we'll get there. I'm not going to comment on what's uh, being produced, but they're giving it a red hot go. That's that's uh, the most important thing. As long as it's edible and no one's getting sick, then we're all good. Yeah, no, so there's certainly a lot that goes into this program and for these young ladies to relocate, it has to be the right fit. Initially, some of them go home more often than others. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're a professional footballer, this is a part of the journey, living away from home and being in those environments. I have another question. I didn't write it down, but I'm really curious at a state level if you see differences in the the volume of volume of players coming through at a different state level, but also the the readiness of the players coming through as well and, and how much do the member federations contribute to those pathways as well. I ask it specifically because when I look historically at my encyclopedia of the Matildas, there are not enough Victorians in my view and that probably overrepresented in um, not overrepresented in a bad way, but in New South Wales, because they must be getting something right in their system. Is there things that get fed back to the member federations or other, the, the state-based NBL clubs to help them with their development of the players? So there is a bit more balance. Yeah, look, we, we certainly collaborate with all member feds um, with the players that they're identifying as well as the players that we have come into our national team environment. So we provide exit reports and um, everybody's on the same page of, of where a player might be at as well as I hope that I'm, I'm very clear with my expectations about um, a certain level standard um, a player has to be to come into our environment, whether it be uh, physically, mentally, tactically, technically, um, there are certainly things that, that we make known and we collaborate with um, lots of people all over the country on these things. At the end of the day, my job's made tough if I have 20, 30, 40, 50 players knocking on the door for 11 spots um, just as a starting point. I wonder also, Shez, like with the I'd, – I'd really love to know the – the graph of players who are coming in from places like Vic and South Australia and, and Western Australia specifically, but like the, the Sharon States we'll call them. Um, and the, uh, the Steeden States of Queensland, Victoria and the ACT where you've got like traditionally uh, rugby league is, has not been really big with female participation. Whereas I'm wondering whether there's a difference between say uh, Aussie rules football and, and female participation feeding through. But I'd also be interested to see whether you have 10 Victorian players come through at 17s or 14s or wherever you're going with your ages, how many of them will continue versus how many of the other states would drop off? Because, I mean, that would be, as you say, like there are a lot of very good Queensland-based Matildas um, and they've been there for donkey's years. Like we think of the Polking Horns, the Yallops, um, you know, even back to players like, Kim Carroll, for example, who was at the 2010 Asian Cup. Um, but then you only, you think of players from Victoria and as you say, there's not a hell of a lot of Matildas from Melbourne or even regional Victoria. So, it, but that is, I, I will, uh, I will reach out to stat, statist, uh, sorry, statistical whiz and friend of the pod, uh, Lockie France for further information regarding Victorian footballers. Yeah, I like it. And we'll just give it to Leah and then we'll get automatically yeah. some more Yeah, Victorians we'll just put a 60% finders fee on uh, on all of Lockie's work and pass none of that on to him. <laughs> Leah Blaney, I would like to thank you so much for being part of our pod. Some great, um, some great answers to the questions that we've had and I really enjoyed the conversation. Love to have you on again and love talking young Matildas. I think it's a a real area where we'd love to grow not only our coverage specifically, but our coverage is only there because we want to tell the stories of, of the players that are, you know, trying to make their way through the game. So if there's anything that we can do to help out, we would love to do that. So on behalf of yeah. all of us, thank you. You're more than welcome to stay on for the rest of the pod where we start dissecting a little bit of the hot topics um, and to talk about the W league round that was. Well, thanks for having me. Um, it was a pleasure and keep up the good work uh, you're all doing. It's, I'll often tune into the podcast um, on my way home from work or, or training at times. So, um, yeah, just keep up the good work and spreading the good word. And, and I hope to all of those out there listening that you get yourself to a W League game this weekend or, you know, you get it on the television and um, we really start uh, putting in action, supporting our girls on and off the pitch. Terrific. Big agree from me. 
Oh, how awesome was that talking to Leah? I, I'm a massive fan of the young Matildas, but I think the challenge that I have is that we don't see it see them often enough we don't oh. hear about them often enough and i would just so so right. love more i mean we will do our best to get more coverage but it, we have to have something to cover as well so let's um let's amp it up let's get some more games out there let's hope that legacy 23 does enable them to play more games and it does enable more more people to to play football and to have those pathways all the way through because as much as we talked to Leah just specifically about the young Matildas and we talked a little bit about Legacy 23, Legacy 23 is not just for, for women or girls. It's for everyone. And, you know, I think and I hope it's what Australia really needs to make sure that we remain competitive in women's football and we accelerate our competitiveness in men's football. Um how about you guys? Do you have any thoughts specifically on Legacy 23? More games. Uh, this yep. is all I want. <laughs> also, just like the whole point that we were, that uh, you were talking about, which I don't really think we mentioned, was the point about building Australia as a football influencer, which is one of the reasons that obviously we got the World Cup because Australia is pretty cool. It's a nice place. We've got some things going wrong, but like, you know, we do things pretty well. Uh, Colombia, look, sorry, next time. But um, as I said, it is it is interesting to to look at the FFA really, and this is one thing that I've been really happy with J- uh, James Johnson doing, looking at Australia not necessarily if just through a football lens, but as a using football as a as a networking tool, and I, I don't like the word soft power, but as a as a tool to further Australia's international interests, both from a sporting perspective and infrastructure perspective, and as much as it pains me, a political perspective. The, the Legacy 23 thing I think will be really interesting, especially within Asia, because there's always been, in, at least in my opinion, a, uh, an uncom- a, a discomfort rather, an uncomfortableness, a discomfort rather with, uh, with Australia being part of the AFC. And I think that stems back from the way kind of Australia moved into the AFC. We felt too big for our britches in the OFC. We felt like we needed more comp- a competition in a, in a better and more uh, populous and more voluminous um, confederation. So, like, hopefully, the, one of the good things that I think that um, twenty Legacy Twenty Three and the World Cup, more generally, but uh, one of the things that I hope that that brings is that there's much more of a positivity around Australia as part of Asia, not just from football um, fans, but also from the general public seeing Australia's place in the world and turning towards Asia. Um, both kind of politically and socially and, and being just being more accepting of our neighbours because, like, we in Australia are extremely lucky in that we have such a diverse population, such a multicultural population. That was one thing that we saw coming out of the Asian Cup. Um, like, I remember going to uh, – I went to Iran versus Uzbekistan maybe. It was a – I went, definitely went to a, an Iran game. But, like, the amount of Persian families that live in Sydney, in Sydney's in, like, Fairfield – going to Homebush to watch these games. Like, it's amazing. And hopefully we can see um, this tournament and kind of the before and after as a real, you know, another real moment, like the Olympics and like the Asian Cup, where we realise that, like, there's no point in being so insular. The more we reach out as a nation, the better it is for for us and for our neighbours. This has been Politics with Dale. Uh, Join me every Wednesday. Uh, for my hot political international relations takes. You know what? It's interesting because one of the questions that I wanted to ask Leah as well is not just about the geographical diversity and not necessarily having enough Victorians represented in Matildas and elite football generally, but also about the, you know, other kinds of diversity because we, we don't have a lot of it. Yeah. It, yeah. I, and that's a, that's an interesting point. Like, and diversity from a number of perspectives. We're not just talking about kind of like gender diversity. We're not necessarily just talking about like ethnic diversity or religious diversity, like diversity of thought, diversity of background, diversity of socioeconomic standing. The more of that that we have, 
not necessarily, as I said, not just from, not just on the pitch, not just on the sideline, in the boardroom, in the clubhouse, on you know, in the parents that are driving their kids to school uh, and to to practice, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The more of that diversity that we have, the tighter, in a lot of ways, it brings us. I remember one of the things that when I moved up from Canberra, and I moved, and I, I don't want to dunk on Canberra. It's you know, the love of my life, and it's the greatest city in the world. But it is a very white place. It's very Anglo, and I don't take any pleasure in that, but I grew up around a very white-bred suburban community. And one of the things that I realized when I moved to Wollongong, which is where I first moved, is A, there are so many different ethnicities in Wollongong people don't realize, and B, how good that was from a footballing and from a networking perspective. Like, the more of that kind of diversity that we have, whether it's, as I said, from kind of a socioeconomic standing or an ethnic standing or a religious standing, the better the people that we have come through the footballing family will be, but also the better the footballing family will be for those people. 100% agree. There are a couple of other hot topics and I, I by no means have all of them, but one of them was that Football Queensland released their history website. So I'm not going to go into detail on that one because what I actually want to do is I want to poach someone to come on the podcast and talk about that history website because there's such a, a warm array of football that's now in the internet for us to peruse at our leisure but hopefully get someone to help us out through that and then the other big thing that's happening specifically this week is that it's female football week which is coinciding with international women's day which is coinciding with hopefully a a stack of great games for round 11 where we might actually be able to work out who other than Sydney is going to be in the finals. We're, we're pretty sure Sydney is going to be in the finals. But other than that, it's a, a little bit of a hodgepodge. We did if have I a big to... yarn about that, about the, the, math, the mathematical consequences of this week's games. And, uh, you know, friend of the pod, Michael Alisic, saying, actually, no, if Sydney lose all of their games and this other team wins all of their games and they have a significantly better goal, that... man, come on. Yeah. Mick, I, love you, I love your graphics work, but leave the maths to everyone else. <laughs> hey, possibility it could be true. Probability it might be less likely yes. to be true. Yes. Let's um let's quickly rip through the results of round 10. So we had the Western Sydney Wanderers with a 1-0 victory over Melbourne City, Perth Glory. So this was the doubleheader Friday, which I think was kind of fun, but I don't know if we can keep it going. Perth Glory went down 2-6 to Sydney FC. Great to see Hannah Lowry get two goals in that. And then in Sydney, it seemed like everyone else got two goals as well. Newcastle Jets went down 1-2 to Adelaide United. And then Melbourne Victory clawed out a one-all draw against Canberra United. Just quickly looking at the ladder, Sydney on top with 24 points. Brisbane, 19 points. Uh, Adelaide, 16 points. They're all on nine games. Melbourne victory with a game in hand are on 14 points. And then we've got Canberra, 12. Western Sydney Wanderers on 10. Newcastle Jets on four. Melbourne City on four. And Perth Glory on a single point. Perth Glory with at least three games in hand against anyone else. So just because Mm. they're on the bottom doesn't mean, and this is a shout out to Neil Bennett, doesn't mean that you won't make it. I think, you know, it certainly looks good on paper at the moment, but if if it was possible for you to have a strong run, you could get there. I if think Perth are still not out. Perth, Matt, I just, as yeah, you said, absolutely. I just had a squeeze. I was like, this has got six games to go. They got two, they got at least three home games. Perth aren't out of this. Now, yeah. what, did, what did Eric say? Never bet against Alex Apakis. One of the great things that Michael has done for us as well is he's done a graphic which tries to illustrate who could finish where. It's interesting, and we'll put this in the show notes as well, but Sydney are just off the charts in terms of where they could finish. Brisbane Roar are, are looking pretty good, and I don't think, by the look of it, it looks like Brisbane have, uh, have they qualified? Brisbane, Sydney, to my knowledge, are the only team that are a dead cert at this point. Um, I'm just looking I, at who could overtake Brisbane. Yeah, the so, only the only thing is, I think that both Sydney and Brisbane have only have three games to play, yep. whereas Canberra and Melbourne Victory both have four games to play. But as you say, like the, Brisbane's Brisbane big, Brisbane's biggest downfall is those four draws at the start of the season. If if two of them were wins, they're already <laughs> on top of the league. Um, but if Watson maybe if Butts and maybes don't win games. Um, so I think Brisbane are qualified. Um, for me, it's really the the last two places that are up for grabs. Adelaide and Victory are there at the moment, but anything could happen. I mean, 
the Wanderers could still make the finals. They've, as you said, they've only got three games to play, but like three games is, you know, a week in a week in the W League is a long time. Yeah, I think it's, it's a twice top as long five. as your Perth. That's that's how it works. <laughs> I think it's a top five myself when I try and quickly have a look at who the Wanderers have got left to play. They're playing Melbourne Victory. I think with the W League, doesn't matter what season it is, doesn't matter what day it is, any team can pretty much beat any team. So it it could happen, but you. Melbourne victory, I'm thinking, would probably take the points. Western Sydney Wanderers are playing against Melbourne City. Melbourne City at home. Geez, I wonder if Melbourne City can take another point away. And then the Wanderers are on the road still against Adelaide United in round 13. So I think, and I'm just trying to look, is there another, and and that might be it for them. So I think it it looks kind of tough, to be honest. But don't listen to me. Listen to the scoreboard when it actually racks up. Yeah. And that game that you mentioned about uh, Wanderers playing victory is at Lakeside and victory have a fantastic record over recent years playing at Albert Park. So like, uh, that's a, that's a tough place to go. Ask Can- Canberra from two seasons ago, got absolutely dunked on there. So, you know, <laughs> all right. The pod is going long, like we said, because it's been a, a great pod with a, an amazing guest, but I don't know if we quickly wanted to whiz through any any highlights. Eric, do you want to go through your highlights, including how many tips you got right, including anyone who scored well, any such thing? I'm, I'm handing over the reins of the mic to you. So my tipping, my reckless tipping ended up being what my reckless tipping usually is, and none of it was right. I I did say Sydney would win, but I mean, I also said Sydney would win by the single goal. So even there, I'm wrong. None of the goal predictions were right. So my highlights, I did notice uh, both Charlotte McLean getting and Bianca Galich getting player of the match in the same week. My NPL New South Wales babies are growing up so fast. It's great to see. I did love uh, Chelsea Dorber's goal against Newcastle. It was one of nine left-footed strikes in this round of the W League. And as someone who said, who brought up the phrase, all left-footed goals are beautiful last week, that was, uh, that's just fantastic to see. Um, I, I also wanted to point out uh, Cote Rojas making a brilliant off-the-ball run to support Dorba. She went from inside to outside. It then allowed um, Dorba to shift the ball inside and send a lovely left-footed strike into the top corner. So save of the round, can't go past Tegan Micah. Tegan Micah's miracle save against Offlina Carmas in the 88th minute. I think just as good as Morgan Aquino's last second save, also against Lena Carmas, just won't get the plaudits, uh, that type of plaudits, because it didn't ensure a win. But still, Tegan Micah, another great save in what's been a wonderful season. My, uh, my pass of the round was Rachel Lowe. Rachel Lowe's outside of the foot dink over the top for Remy Simpson's second goal against Perth. Absolute filth from Rachel Lowe. My tackle of the round, you all know what it is. It is Tory to absolutely destroying Tegan Collister on Thursday night. Was it legal? I don't care. <laughs> I finally, did, she get, did she get whistled for it? I was there. No, I wasn't given a foul. Doesn't matter then. That is not a foul. That's how the laws That's work. Yes, And I finally got to see Tory Toomuth playing in the dub live. It is honest one of it is honestly one of the greatest days of my life. <laughs> and that's my analysis. That must be the next tattoo. How about you, Dale? Have you got some analysis and you don't need to go through all of those? Uh, yeah, even if you wanted to just quickly talk about some of the games and anything that specifically caught your eye. Um, I don't want to start on a downer, but I feel like I have to. Um, we haven't heard the news yet, but my heart goes out to Ellie Brush. I really hope that the knee injury isn't too bad. But uh, in saying that, Sydney's result, I did not expect them to win by as many as they did. I thought that they would go over there and do the job um, and be kind of like a, a, you know, a business-like performance, maybe like a a 2-1 or a 3-1 or something like that. I did not pick three braces and I did not pick Claire Wheeler scoring two goals. So thumbs up to the ever-lovely Claire Wheeler and a great player indeed. Um, Also, I just love seeing Princess Abini score goals. Um, I know that it's something that, like, she's a she's a very frustrating player to watch sometimes. Uh, if you're a Sydney fan, it's it was the same kind of thing when Bernie played for Sydney. Um, 
sometimes just like an absolute, like an ace athletically, really smart on the ball. She makes some really intelligent cut-in runs. Sometimes she just has the worst case of the trampoline shins. Um, but in saying that, watching her score, like anytime she scores goals, she is she I mean she's Sydney's Molina airs in a lot of ways like she cannot just score normal goals she has to score like I'm just going to go for like a 30 meter run and I'll just bash it in the bottom corner and you know happy as Larry um but she is one player that who I I I constantly enjoy watching um I just love that like again that kind of like Iron Robin-esque cut in from the right from the left flank onto the right foot and just bang it on goal big fan um my my funny moment of the week, uh, and I kind of have to take this. You know, sometimes in life you've just got to take your L. You just have to admit that you lost. Keely Richards conceding from Angela Beard. Uh, she would not want that tape. She would. She'd be like, "Look, um, boss, just chuck that in the bin, and let's never talk about it again." Uh, but great to see Angie Beard get a goal. I think her first goal for the victory and her only victory, her second. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, only her second goal in the W League. I I was talking about this with some friends today. I only realized recently that she's only twenty three. Like, she. I feel like she should be like twenty six, twenty seven. She's been around since you know Adam was a boy. It like she's 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 been in the W League since 2013, 2014. I and feel like that with Ellie Green, isn't she twenty two? And 20, she seems yeah, she's yeah, still Ellie Green's about twenty two. Yeah, yeah, she's still it quite young. Like she's, yeah, years yeah, and years, which, it which is, is weird. great. And, and that was one of the things that I mentioned about players like um, Ash Sykes, well, the Sykes twins, but Ash Sykes specifically, because they started so young, they were part of that inaugural Canberra squad. When she eventually retired at like 26, 27, 28, I was like, shouldn't you be like forty? How does time work? I don't understand. Anyway, w um, time is different. Yeah, w- <laughs> it's land that time forgot. I've often said that. Um, but yeah, uh, some really, really good games this week. Um, just like football is sometimes such a strange, strange game. And, uh, and this week was no different in my humble opinion. Well, that leaves me probably with my thoughts. And um, in terms of recency, for me, it's always the last thing that I saw is the thing that I remembered. Um, I did love the the two Thursday night matches. I thought that was great, but not necessarily when it's a school night the next day. Um, for me, just watching the Victory Canberra match, I, I felt quite frustrated with that match because I felt like Victory should have been so much further ahead. But then that's through watching it through the eyes of a fan. I think Canberra did definitely deserve to have that draw. It's more that there are a wealth of chances that I would have liked to have seen drilled into the back of the net. So, And that's, I think, something that can hurt either one of those teams as they go into finals. It's when you get those chances and opportunities, if you don't make the most of them, you end up with a draw, hey, Brisbane Raw, or you can be Sydney FC and you can be on top of the world. So that's probably the, the next level up for them. Probably going to wrap up my thoughts on that. Just talking about next next round quickly. So round 11, this is when it get, starts to get sad because we're almost at the end of the W League. The good news is that we should be seeing some of the young Matildas matches if you're patient and wait till August, September. Eventually, there will be talk, I'm hoping, about the Tokyo Olympics because, hey, that's going to happen one day. Well, I, I did want to mention that because the semifinals of the W League are meant to be on a Wednesday and Thursday to fit the grand final in before the international break. So I will be very interested to see if Australia has any international opponents coming up in late April or early May. All right, we'll bring you the news. Let's have a look at round 11 then, and, and I don't know how um, how much we trust ourselves in giving tips. I, th- I think I've given up, but on Thursday evening, we've got Melbourne victory against the Western Sydney Wanderers, as Dale said, at Lakeside Stadium. Saturday is Adelaide against Sydney at the Marsden, Marden Sports Complex, which will be a big game because I think Adelaide, when they're in good form, can take on a, a good team and that we'll have to see how they come up against Sydney. Many of the teams are going to have shorter breaks now as well and Melbourne victory is probably in that case right now. Sunday, we've got Canberra taking on Brisbane, so they will get the full break. And then Monday, we've got a game as well, which is unusual, but it's going to be more the case with Perth taking on the Newcastle Jets. 
Any big thoughts about those? What's your game of the round, Eric? I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to the rematch between Adelaide and Sydney FC. It's a decent time slot on Saturday evening. Uh, Sydney FC, you know, pretty kind of scrape pa- past um, Adelaide up at Cromer Park and uh, Adelaide on a more familiar surface and at home. I think that Sydney FC will need to play better than they did up at Manly if they had to get the three points that morning. In that one, I mean, I do. I think Sydney FC will win, but you know, it will be. It's a tougher assignment than um, what what happened a couple of weeks ago. Um, also, we do get the uh, rare occurrence of Monday night football. So, uh, rest in peace to the Newcastle Jets who have to travel across the country to play on a Monday night at Dorian Gardens. Uh, best of luck, Ash. Is is that a good chance? Do you think for Perth to pick up some points? Oh, I think I'm pretty sure Alex Aparkas is targeting this one i mean i mean newcastle they they've been competitive in most of their games but struggled and i i think with perth finally having minutes under their belt this is this is one of the uh bigger home advantages i've seen in recent years of the w league just this the amount of travel in this particular time slot the only way that this could be worse is if newcastle played on thursday i can't see newcastle winning this game um hot tips from me uh, Melbourne Victory 3, Western Sydney Wanderers 1, Adelaide 1, Sydney 2, Brisbane Raw 1, Canberra 1, and Perth Glory 4, Newcastle 1. <laughs> You've gone all in. Love it. Look, I, I think for me, the matches are really important matches for a range of different reasons. I think the first three matches are important in the race for finals with the the teams either needing to have the points in the bank or, or split the points is still valuable for when you look at Adelaide or Canberra, I suppose, if they can split any points or take all the points would be terrific for them. And then when we look at probably the Monday night game, it's, it's, I mean, Perth still have a chance to get to the finals and let's not write them off, but I think it's more about the opportunity for them to take the three points and make something of their season that's been so, so challenging for them. I don't want to single them out for saying that it's been challenging for them because it's their own state government that's locked their borders, that's sort of put them somewhat in this position that they've not had control over. But I think each and every team has had its own challenges in different ways, whether or not they could only play sort of back and forward in, you know, in their back garden. So, and, and to the, the Melbourne teams or the Victorian teams that really couldn't get out and do much preseason as well. So I think everyone's had their own, opportunity if we want to look at it in a positive light but I, th- I think it's been pretty tough so uh yeah it'll be it'll be a really interesting round 11 thoughts from a- around the world i think my biggest thoughts are that the um the french league the d1f has come back after a little break and we did see mary fowler come off the bench and score an equalizer for her team Montpellier, which is terrific news for her. I think Ellie, Ellie Carpenter continues to play the full 90 minutes. And I really look forward to seeing a Matilda's match and seeing Ellie jump into that squad and see how she's developing. She is going to be, she is going to be so far above where she was. It's going to be unbelievable to see the amount of um, improvement that I reckon she'll have had. Not necessarily just because like, Playing in America is just very, very physical. And also there's obviously a lot of travel involved for teams over there. But like playing in that Leon team, like if you are not good, you do not play. It's as simple as that. And um, from all the reports that I've been reading and seeing, um, she is killing it. I think she had a player of the week a few weeks ago. So Yep, that's yeah. true. Um, as I said, I I would not be shocked if she comes. Here's, here's a tip for you. Ellie Carpenter will be the best right back in the world at the World Cup. Have that for a take. <laughs> all right. I'm not taking that away from you. I think that sounds all right. Um, what else have we got going on around the world? I have to confess I'm, I'm mostly up to date with um, with France and Australia. I just wanted to point out uh, next weekend, Leon versus PSG. It's a top matchup with Leon, I presume, mad because PSG beat them the last time out. So yes. this that will that will be one to save it for sure. Yeah, I think PSG are actually on top of the ladder. Yeah, Leon is is not on top, which for them would be kind of like being on the bottom. Yeah, like that that, that time that P, that that PSG loss, I think was the first time that uh, Leon had lost in the league in about three years. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you think the W League is not competitive, <laughs> have I got a league for you? Um, but yeah, obviously we've got um, players still in the Super League uh, in the UK. Uh, if anybody follows uh, Ella Mastrantonio's uh, social media posts, you would have seen that she was living it up in Liverpool over the last few days. Really sad to see that she's a Liverpool fan. She goes to the bottom of my Matilda's pile. Sorry to see this. Um, but yeah, uh, Hayley Rasso was on the bench for uh, Everton and a, a nine-player bench, which I find so mad. Like it's obviously because you've got five subs in the WSL and, and in, in the Premier League as well, I think, and the Champo um, for the, the women's comp. But yeah, seeing, seeing nine players on a bench was almost like Asian Cup-ish. It's like, <laughs> like this, this bench, who's doing this graphic? The poor, the poor, and I feel for the fourth official. He's got to like, oh God, how do I get 48 on this bench, on this screen? Jeez, who are these kids? You had uh, Rhea Percival and Alana Kennedy um, playing for Spurs as well. And um, Everton got the win. So happy days for Hayley Russo. And Steph Catley was running. Yeah. How good. She's had a massive sort of layoff in terms of injury. It's been a really tricky ride, I think, for her. So big clap out to Steph Catley for being able to get out there and running. And, you know, we, we hope that that means she'll be back out on the park in, in not too long. But take your time, be ready. Uh, probably coming back to what Dale said before as well, big shout out to Ellie Brush. Fingers crossed that, it, it you know, if there's a chance it's good news, I, I'm, I'm really hoping for that. Ellie Brush is one of my favourite players. I, I feel like she's been there as long as me in terms of watching the football and, yeah, n- not, a, not a good thing for her. So mm. fingers crossed and good thoughts sending out her way. Anything else, guys? Just want to give my own predictions because why not? Uh, victory for I think victory will beat the Wanderers, and I really want Kyra Cooney Cross to score because I will be entertained by uh, Wanderers fans crying about their former player scoring against them. Then uh, Sydney to take the three points against Adelaide, and but I think it'll be a great game. I think a goal from ah, Taylor Ray. Why not? I think Brisbane. Uh, sorry, Dale will beat Canberra at Viking Park. I just think they um, they look too good right now. And, I think uh, I respected you. Ridiculous. Did you? No. Moving on. <laughs> but Brisbane to be Canberra and a goal from Kim Carroll. Why not? And, and then I think Perth will beat Newcastle. I'd love to see a goal from uh, Junior Matilda Tanisha Baker. So that's it. Thank you both for being on the pod. Thank you everyone for listening to us as well. I'm not sure how Emily Gilnick is going and how much that will potentially impact the chances for Brisbane against Canberra, remembering that she pulled up a little bit sore the other day in her match. They have had a bit of a break, but would like to thank everyone for listening in to us. We'd like to tell you that we've got more great show guests coming your way. So keep listening. If you love us, give us some give, give us some love, give us a review. If you want to hear something different, yell out and let us let us know what you'd like to hear as well. On behalf of me and the guests and the co-hosts that I have, thank you all very much. We'll talk to you again soon. See ya.